on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgiatos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatos. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I want to start the show by thanking Brighty on Television. You don't know, maybe, but this show has been on air for, well, the beginning was back in 2014, so coming up on nine years. But recently, in the last year, Brighty on Television took on this show, which I so appreciate. I want to thank them for, they spread this show far and wide. Of course, those of you who watch for a long time know you can always watch the show at our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can also watch it on Facebook uh, live, and, and it's great there at our Facebook page, America Can We Talk. You can watch it on Twitter which is at Debbie Can We Talk. Um, and you can also watch it in Rumble and most of the other social media platforms except YouTube, which unwisely chose to not allow me to continue <laughs> putting my show out there. It's their problem, not mine. But in any case, I want to thank Brody on TV because they really helped this show and I appreciate them very much. This Thursday show today, as you likely know, if you listen to our Thursday shows, we have one special guest. We have an in-depth interview, a full hour conversation with a thought leader, and uh, we have great in-depth conversations really about various issues uh, facing America, shaping America's future. Today, we're very honored to have in studio with us Rafael Cruz. He has joined me in the past on this show. Rafael Cruz is not the main reason he's very important, but he is the father of Texas Senator Ted Cruz uh, here in the gray state of Texas. He is our one of our two uh, senators, U.S. senators, and Rafael Cruz, his dad, has actually, uh, throughout the course of Ted Cruz's political career, uh, spoken at events for him, uh, you know, stand in for him, speak up for him as he they travel the state, and um, so he's just been an extraordinary uh, political figure in Texas. Uh, he's also a pastor, and we'll be talking a little bit today about his efforts to kind of enliven uh, the Christian church in America, encourage them uh, to act the way the original Black Robe Regiment acted back in the day uh, when America was getting started. But first, I'll tell you more about him in a moment, but first I want to welcome to the show, please, and help me welcome to the show, Rafael Cruz. Hi there. Hello. David, it's great to be with you. Great to see you, sir. I love having every time you're on. You know, um, I'm going to do something else. I, I have a whole list of questions, but I wanted to start by telling uh, everyone out there why I feel like I know Rafael Cruz so well. So I wrote this book, Ladies Can We Talk, years ago. It was in 2014, I think. I can't remember. 2013, 2014. And it basically was speaking to American women, encouraging American women to vote to preserve freedom. It was not a it was not a partisan book, a political party book, but it was a very political book talking about the policies that will shape and, and help us in America hold on to freedom. I was very blessed to have Rafael Cruz be willing to translate 
translate that book into Spanish for me because I love reaching the Spanish-speaking audience also. So in translating this book, which is a tiny bit in the wonky side, uh, it's very substantive and serious arguments about preserving freedom in America. So I had the great pleasure over a year or more uh, having meetings with Rafael Cruz to talk through questions about what I meant by terms I was using in the book. So very serious conversations about what the Declaration of Independence means, what the Constitution means, you know, what do you mean by this term? So we really dove into, and what I took from that, I dove into just a deeper appreciation for America's unique greatness. And the conversations help, um, help I hope, I think, help Rafael Cruz feel more confident in translating what I had to say into Spanish. I actually think about those conversations very fondly. They were a lot of fun. So do I, but Debbie, it was really very enlightening. And, and if you remember, I told you the one thing I didn't like about the book. And I said, you cut half of America out. Yes. <laughs> and we need to change it to America, can we talk? Because men can profit from this book as much as women. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, you did say that. I should have listened to you at the time because I did the show with Ladies Can We Talk uh, for quite a few years, five or six years, and I had another. Uh, anyway, others finally said that to me also, and I did change the name to America Can We Talk, and I agree. Uh, I was trying to talk to women, but it's just about saving America, speaking up for America. So, well, here we find ourselves in 2023, and um, I, I'm, I'm, I find our present situation in America simply shocking that, that we are in a place where there are so many Americans who don't really perceive what is happening to our country, don't, don't understand what I see as the threat of socialism, Marxism, communism, whatever you want to call it, uh, invading America. But I want to go back first to your background a little bit and ask you about one thing. So you grew up in Cuba. Right. And you know, Cuba obviously had the experience of Batiste, who was not a great guy, and he's in charge and kind of American back, and then Castro came along. And you made a comment at some point over time that when Castro first came along in Cuba, it wasn't obvious he was a communist. No, on the contrary, you know, Batista was a very oppressive military dictator. He killed 20,000 people the first year. And so in the midst of that, this young, idealistic guy by the name of Fidel Castro and his brother Raul, they tried to attack an army garrison. Most of those kids were killed, but Fidel and Raul were tried, but instead of sending them to prison or executing them, they were allowed to go into exile to Mexico. They moved to the Yucatan Peninsula, the closest place to Cuba, and began a radio broadcast talking about freedom, about liberty, about the rights of the individual. And let me tell you, the young people were mesmerized with Fidel Castro. And I was one of those. I was a high school kid, and they were inciting all of us to get involved in a revolution. So I found myself as a teenager involved in a revolution on Castro's side. We thought he was the liberator that we needed. And it was the youth, the high school and the college kids that actually brought Castro to power, only to realize that it would just be duped. And what he said and what he did were two totally opposite things. You know, that is such a, I wish a million, I wish every American could hear you talk about that 
because it is the way that communism has come to power in countries around the world. I mean, the same stories are told about Venezuela. Gee, you have this, this really exciting new political character come along, and he's, he's, uh, he's engaging, and he sounds like he's promising great things and promising a great future. It's very alluring. In fact, I will make a little plug for it. There's a group, uh, the Fund for America Studies, TFAS, Fund for America Studies, they bring up people who uh, today live in America, who grew up in Venezuela, and they're trying to say the same message that I believe we'll be hearing uh, more from Rafael Cruz about, which is the idea that when they promise you everything's going to be great and fair and, and really almost utopian, and so you hear these promises coming out of these politicians, it's alluring, it's tempting, and what these young people out of Venezuela are trying to say what they bought into in Venezuela, which has now destroyed that country, just destroyed their country, are the same arguments you hear from the American left today. Same arguments, you know, same song, new verse. Well, and as a matter of fact, what they promise is the opposite of what you get. You know, they talked about freedom and equality. Well, there is no freedom in Cuba. As a matter of fact, freedom of speech is totally gone. Even freedom of action is totally gone. Equality. Yes, I can agree that everybody's equal in Cuba. Everybody equally starves. They've destroyed the economy completely. Before Castro, Cuba was tied with Argentina for the two richest countries in Latin America. Today, the average salary in Cuba is $30 a month. $30 oh a gracious. month. We yeah. make on minimum wage in America $30 in four hours. Yeah, yeah, so, it is the, the promises and they're so, you know, it really calls out, among other things, the need for education for the schools everywhere to be teaching young people this so that when the, the promises and all the glorification of, you know, we can make everything free and make everything, everything fair and you'll have all that we ha we're alert to it. We have our you know, we have a trained mind to hear those arguments and reject them. But we, we don't have it right now in America, which is what I want to turn to. Would you, um, would you say something else? Well, I was going to say, beware of, quote, education. Because education is one thing that the government, communist governments have used to indoctrinate people. And as a matter of fact, we're seeing this in America today, where our schools are being controlled by a leftist agenda, trying to take a little, tell a little boy, you're not really a boy, you're a girl trying to tell a little girl, you're not really a girl, you're a boy, and we need to do something about it. And when we have our president telling school boards, you need to help the teachers to assist the children in gender transition without telling the parents. That's happening in America today. And you know, that's actually, this wasn't the direction I'm gonna go, but since you're at this point, I'll, I'll go with that right now. Because part of what happens in this, this advocacy for transgenderism is the schools are telling the kids, we'll help you, we understand you. These silly old-fashioned parents of yours, they don't understand. So they're willing to, the schools and administrations, and kind of create a bond with the children, carving parents out of the equation of what parents may want to teach their children about everything in life, including their identity, their God-given identity, and that itself is part of what communism does. It tries to break the strength and the hold of the, of the intact family unit. Absolutely. Uh, two things that you will see out of communism right up front. Number one, they must destroy the family because allegiance must be to almighty government, not to the family. 
The second thing they will do is destroy Christianity because they must destroy the concept of God because government must become your God. So all the attack that you see on Christianity in America today is very much directed at making government your God. Government is your big daddy. Remember the 1984, a book that has become a prophetic book today. As a matter of fact, as I was telling you earlier, I believe 1984 ought to be required reading in every high school in America, in every primary school in America, because it is becoming a reality today. Big Brother is really watching us every day, everywhere we are. Absolutely true. On the subject, I read 1984 in high school in America, and honestly, it sounded preposterous. It was a clever fiction book, but you know, even uh, in, the, in that era, I'm not going to identify my age, but you know, and that before 1984, I was—I remember reading it, thinking, "Well, that's interesting and kind of fun," but that's not going to happen to America. There was an idyllic sense about America that we knew the difference between freedom and not freedom, and that we would never allow that to happen in this country. And I do think there are millions of Americans having a hard time perceiving the changes happening in America, that, that they really are taking down a path that we would have always thought was never going to be permitted in America. I mean, the, I agree about 1984 book. I, they should have to read it once a year. Go ahead. Yes, uh, and as a matter of fact, a lot of what 1984 has talked about is becoming a reality in America today. Today, our individual freedoms are curtailed more and more every day. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, if we, Talk about this article you sent me earlier today about what the government wants to do in terms of actually monitoring everything you do, even in your home, even with your, in your social interactions, and having government control social interactions. It is all about the government keeping us in a direction that they want us to go and to where the foundations are destroyed. Psalms 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? There is a systematic effort to destroy all the Judeo-Christian foundations upon which America was built. Absolutely, there is. There are actually two different articles, and I want to talk about both of them. Uh, I'm going to start with the one I, I only mentioned briefly when you arrived today. Uh, but there was you know, the um, Cato Institute, which is a you know, I think they call themselves libertarian, yeah, libertarian think tank, but Cato Institute did a poll. They put a big poll out basically asking, they started out by talking about central bank digital currency. You know, what do you think about America? What do you think about the idea of government controlling all currency? Because they're going to, instead of having a dollar or a hundred dollar bill, your money is going to be all digital and we'll all go, all go through the government and government will control it. And so, and many, many conservatives have been, you know, trying to challenge it. And this is underway in Washington. This is not futuristic. This is underway right now in Washington. So that was the first point of the poll. We can come back to that. But the second point they asked in this poll, what do you think of the idea of the government putting surveillance cameras in every home so that they can prevent domestic violence and they can record criminal activity? Now, and, and what do you think about that? So the, the poll was, and, and I, I mean, honestly, if I hadn't read it, I would just faint. But the, the short answer was young people, a, not a majority, but a plurality of young people thought it was a really great idea. 
This will help fight domestic violence. And it was nearly a third of Gen Z, and someone can tell me what age Gen Z is, but in any case. Uh, Younger Gen than us. Oh, you know, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Under 90, whatever. Okay, a third of, third of Gen Z support the idea of government installing surveillance cameras in your household to prevent crime and domestic abuse. And the, and the numbers, I mean, they actually, it was kind of an amazing thing. I was, other polling results are amazing. More blacks were tolerant of that idea than were other racial groups. Uh, re Republicans were the most down on it. But it was, a, it was a, a shocking number of people thought that'd be a good idea. And I just would love to have you paint, because you know a lot, not just about Cuba when you lived there, was happy in Cuba today. How does that idea strike you? What, what, what's the downside? How bad could this get? Well, again, let me refer to 1984 for a second. You may. Remember the most common statement in 1984, Big Brother is watching you. In 1984, in this book, in every room of your house, there was a, a screen long before television existed. This was a prophetic book. And Big Brother literally was watching and listening to everything you did. There was no privacy whatsoever because the government had to control everything. Even they had what they call a thought police, trying to control even your thoughts and that you did not stray from the communist ideology. And, and I'll tell you, we see more and more of that today. And what young people do not realize about digital currency, the main purpose of digital currency is they are monitoring every purchase you make. If you purchase a gun, they're going to know who you buy the gun, you bought the gun from, what kind of gun you bought, and you, they will have a microscope on every transaction you make. Again, it's an erosion of our individual freedoms. And, and I'll tell you what, we got back to the Declaration of Independence. And you look at those unalienable rights. Life, what is the second one? Liberty. Our liberty is under attack in all fronts. They're trying to curtail our liberties and the opposite of liberty is slavery. They want to make us slaves to almighty government. Absolutely true. And, you know, on that point of how they sell these ideas, the idea that you would have young people in America answer a poll that says, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. They are easily duped into accepting the reason the government would give for this. Well, we're just trying to protect, you know, prevent domestic violence. We're just trying. And so they're lured in by, well, we're just trying to help. And it's like there's not the discernment needed in thought to recognize where it could go. I mean, and it's the way many, many very dangerous communist ideas are sold is we're just trying to help. We'll get to more of those in a minute. So in Cuba right now, before we came on today, um, your, another, uh, your niece was telling about what still exists in Cuba today in terms of someone, a, a patrol person on the street who's watching what amount of supplies you have in your home? Do you have more supplies than somebody else? Are you really supposed to have 10 bars of soap or whatever it is? And well, nobody has 10 that. bars of soap in Cuba. They may have one bar of soap if they're lucky. But I'll tell you what, the idea is, again, government control. Uh, as uh, my niece was telling you earlier, in Cuba, even today, there is one person appointed by the government to just control everybody in your block and spy on everybody in your block, even to the point 
of seeing if you have more groceries than somebody else because that is against the law. That called that hoarding. You could go to prison for hoarding. For and hoarding soap? Soap or toilet paper. I'd be in trouble. I love soap. Or having more than one egg or two eggs. I mean, literally, it is that way. And the other issue with that, while we're talking about Cuba, is you have no way around that. I mean, in America, if they tried to pass a law that said that, you know, you can only have two bars of soap, there would be people still have access to the political system. You think you could petition your congressman or your state legislator. But in Cuba, because government just controls society, the people may not like this system you're describing. They have no avenue out. Well, they do have one avenue out because under any kind of government like that, there's a lot of corruption. So okay. if you are fortunate enough to have a relative in the United States that can send you dollars, there's something called the black market. And you can buy anything you want on the black market. Guess who controls the black market? The government controls the black market. So they get you coming, they get you going. They get you in both ways. It is truly shocking. And I think if people in America, these young people who answered this poll and said, sure, let the government put a surveillance camera in every home, what, what bad thing could happen? If they heard this story about Cuba and they thought there's going to be someone on the street watching you, I, I think that probably we're still at the point that most Americans just say, well, we, we don't want to go that far. We want to go completely crazy with this. But this is what well, one point I want to get at and kind of hammer home is this is a slow, slithering, sleeping in uh, slithering in like a snake concept is taking away the fundamental belief and the idea of the right of the individual to live in freedom, the right of individual liberty. You're just giving a little bit away, but that's okay because it's not really bad. You still, you know, you still have your privacy in your own, your own home, but the government, I mean, it's a slithering attack on the belief in liberty. But, but actually, if you want to, you know, think about when we had teenage kids, what was the cry of those teenage kids? I want my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. What I don't understand is how all these children have been duped into thinking communism is something good because under communism there is absolutely no freedom. You do not, cannot do what you want to do. You do what the government tells you to do and there is zero freedom. So they are being duped by lies of a freedom that doesn't exist. Amen. The other aspect of Cuba, before I get to the next story, I can't wait to do that, but the other aspect of what you're describing is, and I can remember this story, I know I told this story in the show years ago. Years ago, we lived in San Diego, and my, my husband's parents lived nearby, and, and my father-in-law was over visiting, and, and we were, and right in San Diego at that time, they had a water shortage. They had a, a rule that whatever it was, even number side of the street can only water on Mondays and Wednesdays, whatever the rule was, an odd numbers, Tuesday and Thursday. Anyway, my father-in-law is at our house, we're, and the kids were little, we're hanging around, and the neighbor across the street was watering, and it wasn't his week. It wasn't his day. He was you know, not supposed to be doing that. And so I just commented to my father-in-law, oh, he's not supposed to be watering. That's all I said. I mean, I was not even thinking of turning him in, but the system was in San Diego. You're supposed to call 311 and say, hey, you know, Joe Blow over here, he's watering. And my father-in-law, who was, you know, had served in World War II, a little bit more, you know, he just said, you know, this is a danger in America, even having a law like that, even San Diego, putting a law in place that said, you really might want to turn your neighbor in because they are watering on the wrong day. And it just, he said it was the wrong, it's like an insidious attack 
on society, on, on the societal connection people should have. Because you're worried if your neighbor is spying on you and, and they have a capacity, maybe obligation to turn you in. It changes everything about society. Well, you know, it's, it, it goes back to the fundamentals of, of communism. You must destroy all allegiances, even friendship. You cannot be, have an allegiance with someone else. It all has to be turned to the government. So it is inciting one person against another. So your only source is the government. There cannot be another, another uh, alternative. And it is just about control, total, absolute control. And we become nothing more than puppets. Right, and, and you're worried all the time who your friends are, what you should say. I mean, we're going to get into this later a little, but, but because certain viewpoints are not really permissible anymore, you can't really talk about certain things, it makes people afraid to talk to even someone they think is their friend because maybe they're not, you know, they, they might not really be in my side. I, I think they are, and so you, you shut down. So pretty soon you're isolated because you are worried to whom you'll speak. I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but uh, anyway, go ahead. You, say something? Well, uh, uh, you just brought a point that, that is it just really struck point because, you know, my son was uh, involved in debate all through college, and debate is something that is, has become foreign in our society today. As a matter of fact, there are many colleges and universities today that if your opinion is contrary to what they think, it doesn't make any difference how brilliant your paper is, you're gonna get an F. Yep. As a matter of fact, I just read last week about uh, debate uh, judges saying, if you are, the, you are defending the wrong position, no matter how brilliant your debate discourse is, you're gonna flunk. It is either my way or you are out. Funk. So yeah. debate has disappeared. Yeah, and going back to founding of America, one of the beautiful things, the First Amendment about freedom of speech, that used to be one of the things people brag about, about America, the idea that when you come to this country, we have robust freedom of speech, and, and you can disagree and have a discussion, and no one's going to jail over it. Uh, you, can, you can disagree. But debate was a place where people learn. And your brilliant son, Ted Cruz, our U.S. Senator, thank God. Um, but, you know, he learned that skill of debate. And, and they used to, in debate, they'd have to assign sides, say, you know, this student's going to take this side, you'll take this side. And even when it was something that you knew most people thought this was the right side, not that was the right side, you were learning the art of debating. And Absolutely. it helped you exchange ideas and understand each other. Well, today that is out. Today, you must comply with the status quo. It is actually inadmissible for you to have an opinion that disagrees with what the government wants you to think. And we are seeing it in schools today. It, we are seeing it in the college campuses, but even in our public schools, in our primary schools. Our children are being indoctrinated from kindergarten on up. Absolutely true. You know, you mentioned much earlier in the show, you mentioned the transgender, uh, you know, pandemic, whatever you want to, I mean, I have called it epidemic in our country, but part of what happens in that is uh, 
child or an adult decides I'm going to identify as the opposite of what they are, it's just it's, they can't make themselves what they want to be, but they just say that. And then they can impose on a school and society to say, because I've decided I'm the opposite of what I obviously am, that I want to be called by these pronouns. And it's one thing if you are a confused young person, you want to say, I'm really, you know, I, obviously I'm a girl, but I want you to call me he and him. And you can say that. But society has taken the side, in some context, of the person pushing that to the point that just here in, the, in Dallas, the uh, city council just put that through that it is a, I don't know if you get fired for it, but it's a disciplinary offense. If you won't use the pronoun, somebody else wants you to use, which obviously is not what they are. And, and I guess it's a freedom issue. But you know, do you remember when you and I were growing up? A lot of girls were tomboys, especially if they had four brothers. Yeah. But that was a phase that they outgrew. Nobody thought anything about it. It was just a phase, and she was trying to identify with her brothers. Nothing wrong with her. But, you know, basically what is at the bottom, again, is a matter of foundations. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, God yeah. said, I knew you. Yeah. Let me tell you, no, you were not, God did not make a mistake. That is what is at the heart of transgenderism. God made a mistake. You're not really a girl. You're a boy. <clears throat> well, God doesn't make mistakes. Uh, the the foundation <laughs> here is the destruction of our Judeo-Christian principles because the God must be the government. That's really the bottom line. Exactly. And parents trying to pass on, uh, Jewish parents, Christian parents trying to pass on to their children, you have God-given identity, and you're trying to pass on not just that aspect, but much of what you believe about the nature of life and truth. And the school down the street where your kid is sitting all day long is being told by the teachers and administrators, you know, your parents, that's kind of nutty what they think. We're the modern ones. We really understand. And so the, the undermining of the whole notion of the family structure and of of teaching children their identity uh, that parents would do normally in the course of teaching them about their faith. Well, again, I'm reminded of another thing that our president said not too long ago. He was speaking to a group of teachers and he told the teachers, when those children are in your classroom, they don't belong to the parents, they belong to you. That's yeah. an abomination. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's Right, right. This is why homeschooling is exploding across America because way too many parents are going to say, not on my watch. Right. And, and it is a rebellion because these people are being coerced or they are just being duped and they don't know what they're doing. But the problem is our children are the victims of these pervasive ideas that are destroying our society. They're destroying the intrinsic nature of who we are. Amen to that. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I want to tell you another thing. I mentioned to you, I, you mentioned earlier, I had sent you this article, and I did talk about this on my show on Monday. I, um, because I, I was, just, I had never heard of such a thing. So I'm going to share with you very briefly, our happy audience, uh, the U.S. Surgeon General named Vivek Murthy, M-U-R-T-H-Y, Vivek Murthy, who's our Surgeon General, he put out an advisory, so it's not yet a regulation, or it's not a federal law, but an advisory that basically said that our nation has, America has, an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. So he's saying, identifying as a, as a health problem, because we have an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. So 
the remedy he is proposing for America has to do with he lays out six pillars that he says can help government can help this epidemic of loneliness. And so he runs through basically the government and this is there's not a hint, there's not a wisp in this uh, in his advisory that acknowledges can't really see why this would be the government's job. Not really sure I have any constitutional authority to be talking about this. Not really sure how I'm going to enforce this. But the concept is government to help this academic epidemic is going to set out basically to control all social interactions in America. And I, if you think I'm exaggerating, please go read the advisory. In fact, you can read it on our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can read it there. And it was from Monday's show. I always put the links in there. Or you can just find it yourself. It's Murthy's new advisory. But the gist of it is he's going to control. Uh, he's going to have the government that's going to build social infrastructure. Not society, not people. They're going to enact pro-connection public policies. So they're going to track people, whether they comply consistently with their goal of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So everyone, they, they're creating public policies. You must be connected. So I don't know what happens if you want to have a private you know, club or whatever you want to have. Uh, mobilize the health sector. So the health sector is going to be examining people about their loneliness, other people's loneliness, how they're nice enough to other people. Uh, reforming the digital environment, control entirely social media because there might be a problem there with someone being isolated. Deepening our knowledge, we're going to study loneliness and then we're going to cultivate a culture of social connection. I think about about a hundred scenarios that, that could be devastating to America and freedom. Well, I'll just start with your overall reaction. Well, it is again about one word, control. Total, complete, absolute control of the government over every aspect of our lives, even our thought processes as 1984 talked about. It is actually just belittling us to be nothing more than puppets of the government where we have no individual thought processes and no individual freedom to have our own choices, but everything will be under government microscope where they have a, you know, they are looking at everything you do and not only monitoring, but trying to control your behavior. Oh, it is, Orwellian is a too overused a word. I'll just tell you one example that, that really struck me about this. You know, I've told you many times, my grandfather was a Lutheran minister, my uncle's Lutheran ministers. We kind of grew up going to church and church group. That's what we did all the time. Churches used to have that role in society. They would, they would be allure, inviting to people who maybe, uh, you know, my mother used to say, I'm sorry, my mother used to say when we were growing up, you know, if you move to a new city, join a church, best way to find friends, you know, best way to make a social group. Well, churches and, or more, and synagogues, the places of worship, they used to be as thought of by everyone as a center in communities to invite people in, to help people feel included and, and have, have a, a group somehow. And I just think, among many other things, this is dismissing the role of faith and church and helping people fight loneliness and helping people congregate in, in, with like-minded people. But not only that, in the church environment, in the environment you're talking about, about that, it is a free interaction. You are free to interact in whichever way you want to. It's not the church or the synagogue or the institution trying to impose what you're going to do. The freedom, if we curtail freedom, then we become nothing more than slaves. What, what fought the American Revolution was the concept of freedom. 
freedom of the individual. And I'll tell you what, we gained our freedom in America because of the American Revolution. We gained that freedom as Christians when Jesus Christ went to a cross on our behalf and set us free from the power of sin. And it is all about freedom of the individual, freedom of our soul, freedom of expression, and all of that is not only trying to be curtailed, but be snuffed on the this system that you're talking about. Right, and I do want to explore a lot about this because it's an it's attack on many avenues of what is normal, healthy societal development in America, since the founding of America, the way we, you know, you find people of common interests. And so people, you know, you, whatever you do, you join a hiking club, you join a biking club, you join a chess club, you, you do things that you like. And so you're naturally going to be drawn to people who like what you like. So you like their social. Go ahead. But you're the, you have the freedom to do so or not do so. Right, you choose, so. you choose. You don't have a government tell you what you must do or who you need to interact with. Right. If right. they had ever told me I had to join like the math club or something I was terrible at, I'm like that would be terrible. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't like anyone who likes math. No, that's not true. But I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't relate. But people have, you know, the, the uniqueness of the individual. You're drawn to activities, and some people love math, or I don't know why, but other people love other things. And the idea that you're going to be yourself, and then you're naturally drawn to people with whom you can interact well. And this is like the government saying it's like uh, I. My husband had a good, it's like, it's like mandatory voluntarism, mandatory. It's like, you're going to do this and you're going to like it. Well, you know, it, I can't remember who said it. People are stupid and they need to be governed by the small selected minority of the intelligent ones. That is actually the thought process. You're yeah. too stupid to know what you need to do. I am, I government, I'm going to tell you what to do and how to do it. Yeah, and you know what else? This whole diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think one time around my show, we talked about this a little bit, the diversity, equity, and inclusion push that is pervasive in society. But, you know, the concept of being of, of not judging others by their skin color, by their race, ethnicity, national origin, to, to judge individuals as individuals, that's a healthy Judeo-Christian American concept. To, Absolutely. To, yeah, but to force people to say, you could imagine under this, this is not a far-fetched extrapolation. Someone saying, well, you know, now we reviewed your social media, and it doesn't look like you have enough friends of a certain ethnicity or national origin. It doesn't look like your social life doesn't comply with our DEI standards. And so you, there's a sense of being monitored, perhaps being scolded. I don't really think they're going to lock you up yet about those things. But the concept is your individual choice of, of with whom you interact is going to be the government's business. But it even goes beyond that. It, 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 go, it becomes now to where there are quotas. There are too many whites in this university. So if you're a white, you're not going to be considered for admission in this university. We need more Asians or whatever so that we could have this so-called equity. And actually, we have actually a, a, a reverse racism in America. If you are white, you are actually the oppressor, and, uh, and there is an anti-white movement in America, and uh, it is totally racist. But we don't think in terms of that, but it is, again, it's a divide and conquer process. Yeah. Actually, leads me to something back. I wanted. To, um, I meant to ask you um, not just about Castro, but the communist agenda in the world. Part of what 
same get the is lenin who started with the idea of dividing the proletariat and the working and the bourgeois so the whole or marx did the whole concept of you're pitting people against each other so you're telling society you're telling a culture of people well you really should resent somebody else because of their station in life so you're pitting people against each other because their economic station but that again when you divide society into groups it causes the government when they're who are manipulating it to have more power because then everyone's kind of suspicious of each other or resentful or jealous and government swoops in to say we'll solve all this and I, I don't know if you saw that in Cuba but there was a an intentional division of society which you're getting around to now this current effort of critical race theory which is a Marxist concept of saying if you're white you're permanently a repressor if you are a person of color you're permanently a victim nothing you do in your life can ever change that it just permanently divides. But you know something, one of the things I loved about America, I love this country with a passion. You know, I've been in this country now 66 years. And I'll tell you something, the greatest thing about America was the American dream. Yeah. When I came to this country, I didn't have any money. I couldn't speak the language. And I'll tell you what, I worked full time. I went to school full time, graduated from college in three and a half years. And was very successful in business. And I'll tell you what, if I could do it, anybody can do it. That's the greatness of America, is right. that what we need to do is we don't need a government handout. We need for government to get out of the way and just have freedom and opportunity. Yeah. This is the land of opportunity where anyone, anyone with a dream can make that dream a reality. Willing to hard work hard. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, willing to work hard. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I actually was going to mention, I, I, I know the story you came to America with $100 sewn in your underwear. Is that a correct story? Well, something like that. <laughs> okay, I don't want any more detail. Don't tell me more detail. But anyway, you came with a small amount of money to America. That's true. Yeah, went to college. And actually, in one of your degrees was in math, wasn't it? Yes, actually. Okay, what else besides that? You studied math, what else? Well, my bachelor's was in mathematics with a minor in chemical engineering. Some of my graduate work was also in mathematics and operations research. Okay. I worked for two different companies for about four years, and after that I had my own company. Less than five years after I was out of college, I owned my own company. And I did so until 1986 when the Arabs opened the valves and put me out of business, and, and I started again. This yeah. is a land of opportunity. You know, part of what you, first of all, I agree wholeheartedly, and I love your story. I love, I've heard other stories like this on my show, observing America as a land of opportunity for those who come to work hard and, and make their way. There's just endless opportunity. Part of what has this undermining in, in the American people, especially young people, in the belief of America, is people say, well, that, that might have been true back when you came here. You know, that was a couple decades ago, a few decades ago, but it's not true anymore. And, and this is, which is a lie, but it's part of what has caused young people, uh, some of them, to turn away from love of reverence. For, I share your reverence for America, best country on earth ever was but it has driven them away. There's like a, there's a need in America to reteach the idea of America. Well, let me ask you a question. Why is it that young people don't think that that's true in America anymore? Because they get told in the schools that. I think partly they're told in the schools. 
America is not the land of opportunity. We're the 1619 Project America. We are a repressive society. Well, you well, have a different the, thought. The 1619 Project is actually a mis-teaching uh, of the history of America. The reality is America was founded of Judeo-Christian principles. When those pilgrims arrived in Plymouth, Massachusetts, there, the Mayflower Compact began by stating their purpose for the glory of God yep. and the advancement of the Christian faith. It continued, in the presence of God, we covenant and combine ourselves together to form a civic body politic. In other words, some form of government. Why? For our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. America was built on helping one another, on uplifting the Judeo-Christian principles that was the foundations of America. And it was that spirit of cooperation that allowed a handful of people with practically no weapons yeah. to overthrow the greatest army on earth. And that was because they believed in America. They believe in the dream that America is, and yeah. that's what made that dream a reality. And it can be as much a reality as, as for anybody today if they would just believe the dream. It is as alive today as it ever was. Absolutely true. But Absolutely. what happens is that we have been brainwashed in that we are victims and we need the handout of government. Yeah. That is the pervasive teaching that is being done today, and it is on purpose to make us slaves of almighty government. Absolutely true. I don't want to go way down the path today, but I think you and I have talked about it before. You know, the Communist Party of America, CPUSA, uh, there, there, are all, there are several markers in history that point out that the, you know, when the communists can take over other countries, they could do it via, you know, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat and get those people fighting. They could do it by pitting people against each other. But in America, uh, the concept came along that, you know, America was so much a land of opportunity, they couldn't make this, you know, the poor versus the rich. They had to go with a different argument. And cut to the chase, the Communist Party of America got read into the congressional record. They actually spelled out, here's what we're going to do to take down America. It was to cause America to shift from belief in itself and our unique greatness because of the founding ideas that you've mentioned, the declarations, ideas, and the, and the Constitution. And it was a slow, it, it wasn't just happenstance, it wasn't coincidental. There has been a push over the decades by the communist mindset, the communist ideology, to undermine belief in America. And for most of the time, most of America didn't know it was happening. It's only in recent years we've awakened to it, recognized we have had our belief in ourselves undermined. Sorry, go ahead. And what has happened is our educational system has failed us. I mean, I remember when we were growing up, reading the Declaration. I mean, every kid in high school had to recite the preamble of the Declaration sure. and the preamble of the Constitution. That went by the wayside years ago. Yep. The Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. No longer do you see that in our schools <clears throat> today. Our foundations are being systematically destroyed on purpose. It is, it is, they, there is a method to the madness. Because they want us to be slaves to almighty government. Absolutely true. You know, there's so many other avenues watching this current administration, um, the direction they're taking America on so many uh, fronts. And we can't go down all of them today. But I think, as you, I think for now, I mean, when COVID came along and people 
recognized the government was really taking power that they didn't really seem to have. We didn't think they had, uh, but shutting people in and saying churches couldn't be open, strip clubs could be, but not churches. Um, and, and I mean, we, it caused more people to say, why do they think they have the power to do that? And I think we're seeing loss of, of freedom of speech in many, many ways. We've talk about um, and with you and other times, but the you know what's happened to the January 6th prisoners, the loss of rule of law. I just think if you're paying attention all in America, you're starting to realize we are on a very, very fast track away from losing freedom and, and over the cliff into socialism. I want to get to the role of the churches. Oh, this always happens to me. And I do want to let the audience have a Q&A. I'll get to the role of the churches. You have, let me shift to that. You have worked with some churches in America trying to talk to pastors about what role they could have in saving America. Can you just tell us what that is, what you're doing? Yes, over the last 15 years, I have spoken all close to 500 churches and over 300 pastors' conferences in a message that I entitled The Role of the Church in the Civic Society. And I'll tell you, America was built on the backbone of the churches. Pastors fought the American Revolution. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, the church has failed today because way too many pastors across America are more concerned with being politically correct than with being biblically correct. They are more concerned about tickling men's and women's ears because they don't want anybody to disagree with them. Unfortunately, one of the biggest maladies in the church is what are called building programs. Here you have a church that builds this monstrosity to the tune of maybe 10, 20 million dollars. Their message changes because they cannot afford to offend anybody because if they offend somebody and they leave, their money lives with them. And they have become like Jesus called, no longer called, they become hirelings. And then they have been duped with concepts that are neither biblical nor constitutional like separation of church and state. Separation of church and state is a cancer that pervades the church. It is neither biblical nor historical. And so, I've had so many pastors tell me, politics is a dirty business. I don't want any part of it. And I ask them, why is it a dirty business? Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear through, people mourn. But if the righteous are not running for office, if the righteous are not even voting, then what's left? The wicked electing the wicked, and it becomes our fault. The only way to change that pattern is for people of principle to be involved in the political arena. We need to look for the best candidates in every position. And if you can't find one, then you run. And I'll tell you what, if we did that, if the churches took that approach, we could change America from a streetwalker all the way to the White House in one election. But the church needs to stand to its role. Pastors are supposed to be shepherds. Now, let me tell you, it was not coincidental that Jesus used that terminology of shepherds because sheep are the dumbest animals on earth. Yeah. Sheep have to be led everywhere. Well, I'll tell you what, a pastor is a shepherd to his congregation, and he's supposed to be guiding the congregation in every area of life. And if they don't provide guidance, 
Jesus said the sheep are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And I'll tell you, we have a responsibility as pastors to enlighten people that we have a moral responsibility to elect righteous people to government. We were given, and I believe this was by divine revelation, a constitution that is very unique. As I've traveled around the world, the average lifespan of a constitution around the world is only 17 years. Ours has lasted for 235 years. Why? Because it was forged on the knees of the framers. The framers were on their knees seeking for revelation from God, and revelation is what they got. We have a very unique constitution that protects our individual freedoms. We are not a democracy. Democracy has never worked. Democracy is mob rule. Under a democracy, the minority has zero rights. Best example of a democracy, Rwanda. The Hoodies and the Tutsis. Oh. The, t the 10 million people, they kill 2 million people. That's a democracy. No, we are a constitutional representative republic, not on the mob rule, but on the, the rule of law where the rights of every individual are protected. And so we need to understand the uniqueness of our constitution. And we don't need to, like you hear so many leftists talking about, oh, the constitution needs to be a fluid document. No, it does not. It is as relevant today as it was 235 years ago, and we need to go get back to our foundations. Again, I go back to Psalms 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We need to get back to the founding principles that made America the greatest country on the face of the earth, that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. Okay, on that note, <laughs> amen, amen, okay. We are at, we have seven minutes till the show ends, and we're being very respectful of the clock. There is a microphone right here. We'd love to have you, if you'd like to ask a question, we ask people, uh, if you could, to stand up in the middle and speak right into the microphone, because it's not just to be heard in the room, but to be heard on air. Love to have your questions. And so don't get shy out there, otherwise I'll have more questions. But I'd love to have some questions from the audience. Oh, look at these people are shy. There you go. Yeah, sure. Yes, he's got the microphone. Just one moment. and Well, I first of all, I'm president of your fan club. I think you know that. And I really, truly appreciate your wonderful words of wisdom and encouragement. And yes, uh, it is tragic that the sheep are building their own slaughterhouses yeah. right now in our country and around the world. Um, recently, you went to Israel. Yes. Would you tell us a little bit about your trip and any good news that you can reveal? Well, Thank actually, you. a lot of good news about Israel. I was in Israel uh, during the 75th anniversary uh. of, the, of Israel. I participated in the March for Freedom on the 75th anniversary. There were people from all over the world, from Ethiopia, from it. Venezuela, from from Guatemala, from Africa, from all kinds of different countries. But the other thing that, I, that was very exciting is I have been involved in something that is called the Red Heifer Project. There was a friend of mine last year, his name is Baron Stinson, and he was approached by the principal rabbis in Israel saying, we need you to find us a Red Heifer. 
And uh, they, we haven't had a red heifer in Israel for almost 3,000 years. And Byron said, I can do that. Well, he found that 21 red heifers. Those Orthodox rabbis came to, to Texas, all excited, inspected the red heifers. They disqualified three or four because they have to be perfect. They cannot have even one white hair or one black hair. So they said, all right, let's ship him to Israel. Well, they came across one bottleneck. You cannot import cattle into Israel. But they found a loophole. You can import five pets. So they sent five, sheep, five heifers to Israel as pets. I saw the heifers. Uh, the heifers are about a year and a half old. The plans are to kill this red heifer on Passover next year. So that's only about 10 months away. They've already purchased the land in the Mount of Olives. They are in the process of permitting. The idea is to kill this red heifer on Passover day next year and collect the ashes because the Bible says that you need to use the ashes with water to sanctify even the vestments of the priest. And of course, the stones for the temple the, the utensils that will be used to, for a temple, all the furniture for a temple. So before they can build the temple, they have to have the ashes of the red heifer. Well, they're going to have those ashes in 10 months. And as a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, while I was in Israel, Netanyahu said, I would like to see the, the temple built within the next 48 months. So there is an excitement in Israel that... Messiah is coming. Not only Christians think that Messiah is on the verge of coming. Orthodox Jews feel the same. And so there is a, an excitement, uh, an urgency, if you may, to see prophecy fulfilled. It is an exciting time to be in Israel. I hope I can go back 10 months from now when they are going to do that, that uh, celebration with the red heifer. So big things are happening in Israel. It is, and the other thing that I was very excited is, let me tell you, people that are on this side of the ocean don't realize it. While I was in Israel, over a thousand rockets were shot at Israel. But the interesting thing is nobody was afraid. No one was afraid. Number one, Israel is under God's protection. The hand of God is over Israel. And the second thing is Israel is so brilliant. The Iron Dome is so effective that only one rocket got through and killed one man. 20% of the rockets landed in the Gaza Strip. They killed more Palestinians than oh. people on, on the other side. So they are under God's protection and they got incredible security and nobody is afraid. I felt safer there than I feel walking downtown Dallas. That's saying something. <laughs> wow. I, I'm so glad that our audience member asked you about Israel. I, I'm so glad. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, I was wondering, since you have Ted Cruz and your family and probably have a pretty good relationship where you're able to ask him any question you wanted, would you say that based on the relationship you have with him, that it would be your opinion and his or his that our government's completely lost and that we have to replace the entire government or do we just need influence of our government to improve their decisions they're making? And if so, how would you suggest that we influence them? 
Okay, well, that's a great question. Let me say, let me go back to a, a, a quote that I made earlier two or three times. Psalms 11.3, the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? The foundations of America are shaken today. America has gone so far off the Constitution, so far our laws, that we are living in chaos today. And let me tell you something. This is a call to action. If we lose the election in 24, America is gone. We do not have any more time. It is time that every conservative, every Christian, every Jew in America realize that we do not have more time. We need to make sure that we go to the polls. It is appalling if you look at the statistics that George Barnard have put forth. All Christians that go to church once a week, 50% are not registered to vote. And of the ones that are registered to vote, only 50% are voting. That means three out of every four Christians don't even go to the polls. It is our fault. And I would imagine it's the same in the Jewish community. Well, that's good. Well, except too many of them vote Democrat. <laughs> only the Orthodox. There is that. Only the Orthodox vote on the right side. But I'll tell you what, it is our fault. We need to make sure that every one of us not only goes to the polls, but we get every one of our friends, everyone we know to go to the polls and vote righteously. Vote for men and women that are going to uphold the Judeo-Christian principles that have made America the greatest country in the earth. If we lose this election, America is gone. And you know, you were talking about my son. I must have told my son dozens of times. You know, Ted, when I lost my freedom in Cuba, I had a place to come to. If we lose our freedoms here, where are we going to go? And the reality is there is no place to go. We need to draw a line in the sand, and we need to be at the polls and voting, and we need to make sure everybody else does, and we vote righteously. Rafael Cruz, that was a great way to end this. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. Just please help me thank Rafael Cruz for coming thank today. You. God bless thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our show is called America Can We Talk. You can find this interview, every other interview I've ever done, all of our blog posts, everything you need, right at our website, americacanwetalk.org. A week from today, we have Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick joining us in the studio. The following week, we have the most brilliant climate uh, truth teller you can possibly imagine Mark Morano so two great shows coming up and again thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time I do America Can We Talk because America matters and I will talk to you next time thank you again thank you America Can We Talk Truth about America. Can you